Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week, we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or, well, virtually anything about Charlotte, because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market so they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind, and hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. For this week's episode, I'm joined by one of my best friends and business partner, Brittany Osborne. Brittany is a returning guest, but her clients rave about her attention to detail, her amazing negotiating skills, and her warm personality. Everyone who meets Brittany becomes a raving fan of hers. Brittany, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm happy to be here again. So today we're going to be kicking off our first time February series. This will be a series of conversations with Brittany and I for the majority of the real estate topics, discussing methods and ideas that are specifically aimed at helping first-time homebuyers with the overall experience. I'm really excited about this topic for a couple of reasons, but as you know, I used to be a teacher in my previous life, and um, also Maddie was, and one of the things I love about our team is that our mission is all about educating our clients, and so I think that's such an important part of working with first-time homebuyers. So to kick off this series of topics, I thought it would be interesting for you and I to come up with a series of questions that first-time homebuyers should be asking, because as you and I both know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, this is going to be important, because it's all about teaching our clients, because they have no idea what to expect. So educating them through this entire process and what it looks like from start to finish. So something that we've talked about on the podcast in the past, and I think it's probably the best place for us to start, is that I think a first-time homebuyer should ask an agent, who do you work for? And this is a question that has a lot of different potential outcomes and serves a few different purposes. Absolutely. The thing I love about this question is it lets a potential buyer know whether an agent is there to represent the seller and the seller's best interests or whether they are there as an advocate for the buyer. In real estate, we have something called dual agency. Dual agency is where one agent is representing both the buyer and seller in a transaction. We have a policy on our team against pure dual agency because the way I look at it, I can't get the most amount of money or the best terms for my seller while also working to get the best deal and terms for my buyer. It's impossible to serve two different people in a transaction. Um, So we look at pure dual agency as not being beneficial to our fiduciary responsibility to our clients. And this question really helps the consumer learn who the primary beneficiary of the agent's services will be. It also helps to identify other important factors too. And what is that? Well, it lets you know which firm the agent works for. Um, I know you have had multiple discussions on the importance of who an agent's affiliated with, so we don't need to rehash those here. However, as you discussed previously, knowing who your agent works with is incredibly important. The next question that I think that most people need to ask is, why should I work with you as a potential buyer's agent versus going directly to the listing agent? That is a great question. Especially over the explosion over the last two years, 
I've had countless people reach out to me as the listing agent telling me that they would like to work directly with me instead of having their own representation because they felt it would give them a maybe like a leg up on securing the property. We've already discussed our team's policy on pure dual agency. However, this is a question that I think goes a lot deeper. You're right. And when you're just getting started in searching and you're just browsing online, you know, you may not think there's anything wrong with clicking on the link to the person who has that listing. Um, And it's a great question to ask an agent specifically because it's very telling. The listing agent, as we said before, works for the seller. So we're back to serving those two masters. You know, furthermore, it's important to have your own representation so you feel confident and knowing that you're getting the best resources and advice throughout the entire transaction. I think the other important aspect of working with your own representative versus the listing agent, and I don't want to come across as swarmy or anything like that, is that an agent can help identify the potential problems or issues with a home with no bias or vested interest. So I I think it's almost like if you were selling your own car and someone asks about issues, do you mention everything or is there something in your mind that you keep to yourself because it was fixed and is no longer an issue? Unfortunately, human nature is just human nature and it's impossible to avoid. Another question I get asked all the time and I think all first-time homebuyers should ask is what's the difference between tax value and market value? Again, this is a great question, and I'm glad that your clients are asking you that. So tax value is set by the state and is the valuation for which you will pay state taxes on a property. The market value is the asking price for that property, or it can be interpreted as the potential value for that property on the open market. Tax values can change as the state evaluates taxes, which will be done at least on an octennial basis. And market value can change day to day. Um, let's say you're looking at a $300,000 house. If the neighbor's house, you know, which for this case we'll say is identical, was listed at $300,000 but sold at two seventy-five, dollars that becomes a comparable sale. And the $300,000 house will likely have a lower market valuation. The sales don't impact the tax valuations but will impact the market value. I think you did such a great job describing that. And it's something that people often struggle with. There are ways to submit appeals to the tax office in an attempt to have your tax value lowered or altered. However, I think that looking at the tax valuation is so important because it ties directly in with affordability. Different cities, municipalities, and counties in our area have significantly different tax valuations, so knowing how to calculate this is just really important for what your monthly payment would be. The next question that I like is, what does the process look like from start to finish? There are a lot of shows on TV right now that kind of, you know, try to tell the story of real estate, but it's not always a reality. And so if you don't really know what it looks like in real life, it's important to be able to ask those questions. I think that's a really good question, but I I can imagine the answer being a pretty lengthy response. It's one of my favorite questions for first-time homebuyers to ask me, and I think I have a very fluid way of describing the home process, um, and that it hits on the touchstones but does not get bogged down in over-explanation. All right, so let's hear it. I like to tell people that the process is really made up of three things, search, secure, and solidify. Searching obviously is very important because buyers may have an idea of what they want, but maybe a limited area or idea of the area they want to be in. So it's my job to show them some other areas that they may not have ever been in before and then ultimately set them up on a search, a customized search where they can continue to receive properties that meet their needs. Once they find what they want, obviously we need to secure it. And so I'm going to walk them through that 
process of making an offer um, and we're going to come up with acceptable terms um, and then obviously we've got to get it under contract. Once it's under contract, we need to solidify it by getting it from contract to close. And I always tell my clients that's literally what I have a job for is to guide you from contract to close where we're going to be working through due diligence, inspections, appraisals, all of that to get to the closing table. I really love the way that you describe that. I especially like how you go through each of the big touchstones for things that come up. I think describing the process, and maybe this is something better to do later on, is to also set the expectation of the emotional roller coaster that people go on. There's just multiple times in a transaction that the stress and drama can feel overwhelming to the point of wanting to walk away. I absolutely agree. And again, I think it speaks to the agent that you have on your side. Nobody is ever going to tell you that this is going to be an easy process, but it is our job to make it as easy and pleasant as possible by sort of, you know, tempering expectations and and guiding you through it in a calm way. So what is your next good question? So it seems like every time that you and I are recording something together, it it keeps coming back to the inspection process. As you and I have discussed, seeing an inspection report for a first-time home buyer can be extremely overwhelming. An inspector's job is to identify as many deficiencies as possible, and the typical home we see has more than 50 that'll come up. This can be as simple as a light bulb not working to crawlspace moisture issues. My question here would be, what is the difference between typical findings and findings of concern on an inspection report? I think that is such a great question. And I tell my clients all the time, you are literally paying this inspector. They're on your side. You're paying them to tell you every single thing that is wrong with this house. But that doesn't mean that the house is falling apart, right? And I like to set the expectation that anything can be fixed, you know? Um, So it's my job to guide them through what is a top priority and maybe what is just more of an FYI. You know, I, I bring it back to a statement that we have, and it's not purchasing a problem that you can't afford to fix. And I think it's really just such an accurate, simple statement that helps guide people in the right way. So what's your next question? I think it's important for first-time home buyers to ask, what additional expenses can I expect from contract to close? Because it does cost money to buy a house. That's such a great question. And there's really several expenses that buyers should expect when they go under contract outside of the typical due diligence fee if they're in North Carolina and the earnest money deposit. The most typical ones are obviously going to be inspection costs and appraisal fees. I also set the expectation that they might have additional costs like surveys and having specialists come out and, of course, movers. And when I say specialists, I mean if we're going through that inspection report and there is an item that maybe needs a little bit more detail, we we might need to bring a specialist out like an HVAC contractor to look specifically at that. So that may be something you've got to additionally pay for. Movers aren't really a cost before closing, though. They are if you have to put a a deposit down. Okay. Touche. My next question is that I think that people should always ask is, what are seller paid closing costs? That is a great question and one that I think a lot of our first-time home buyers do not fully understand. So why don't you explain it to our audience? Sure. Seller paid closing costs are funds that are debited from the seller at closing and given as a credit to the buyer to be used for things like attorney fees, escrow prepays, inspections, rate buy-downs, and stuff like that. 
I like to explain seller paid closing costs in a slightly different way. Shocking that you may have a different opinion than I do. Let's say a house is, for demonstration purposes, $200,000. Um, to a seller, getting an offer of 200000 or 210000 with $10,000 in seller paid closing costs are the same when it comes to net to seller. In both of those situations, they're walking away with $200,000 before fees. However, in the second scenario, the buyer's getting $10,000 and their loan will be for a potentially higher amount. So essentially, the buyer is financing those costs with their loan. The seller is not paying that money direct out of pocket. Of course, the home would need to appraise at that higher amount, but it's not a direct out-of-pocket expense for the seller, which sometimes I think sellers look at it going, well, I'm not going to pay for their closing costs. They're really not paying it. The buyer is financing it. Okay, I will give it to you. I do like that example because it shows the allocation and puts it into terms of the next or the net to seller aspect of things, which I think streamlines it from a different perspective. I just think it takes an abstract concept to, you know, some real numbers and puts it into a practical term that people can understand. I agree. All right, the next question I think all first time homebuyers should ask is what incentives are available for me as a first time homebuyer? That's literally an upcoming podcast topic for this series that we're doing. Which is what makes it such a good question. Uh, Buyers should always ask about different incentives that are available. We have everything from partnerships with lenders to special programs. Builders have new construction incentives. There's always a solution when it comes to financing, but people have got to ask to be made aware. And again, that's why you want us on your side, because we know the types of questions to ask on your behalf. It's such a great question. One of my favorite questions that I get asked and that I always suggest to my clients to ask is going to be, am I ready to buy or should I keep renting? I love when people ask me this, and I will even ask my clients this question. Buying has a whole slew of responsibilities that comes along with it, but it is also, in my opinion, one of the most satisfying experiences you can have and is owning something that's your own. I think it's almost cliche to say, however... One way or the other, you're paying a mortgage. The question that you need to ask yourself is whether you're going to pay your mortgage or your landlord's mortgage. Furthermore, as you mentioned, the cost of home ownership can be a lot. There's repairs, maintenance, taxes, insurance. If something breaks, it's a cost for you to personally fix. You know, those are things that that don't always exist when you're on the renting side of things. That's right. And if, you know, if your dishwasher breaks, you're not calling a property manager to come out and fix it, you know, when you own it. You've got to figure that out on your own. However, with with home ownership, there is appreciation of value. So there's an ability to make something your own and you can make improvements and customize the property and see that investment grow over time. Ownership also, in, in my opinion, improves the community as a whole. When you own, you're tied to an area, you get involved, you support local businesses, your tax dollars benefit, hopefully, the immediate area that you're living in. But here's the thing, a good realtor will also tell you this, renting can be the right solution for some people. While it's true that if you're renting, you're essentially paying 100% interest every month because you're never building equity or ownership, you know, if credit, finances, or life solutions, like maybe you get relocated every year are obstacles, then renting is a great solution for you. And I also think, you know, when I'm thinking back to myself, like probably my early 20s, that I did not personally have the maturity to own something. 
I would not have maintained it like I should have. And because of that, renting for me was the better solution at that time in my life. And that's why it's a great question to start with and and when a good agent will have an honest conversation with you and let them know there's nothing wrong with renting if you're not ready to buy or it's not the right fit for you right now and hey let me help you find some rentals that could work and I'm going to continue to educate you to the market until you're in a position where you can buy and then we'll start this process again. I know you and I have both had to have that conversation with clients in the past. I also think, especially with first-time home buyers, that there can be a peer pressure factor too. By asking this question, you get to have an honest conversation with, with your advocate and look at the benefits of home ownership and the benefits of renting. You should purchase because it's the right thing for you, not because your friends are doing it. I think that's great advice for pretty much virtually anything in life. Why don't you wrap up this topic with the last question that you ask first-time home buyers or that first-time home buyers should be asking you? This one is right up your alley, and I'm just going to let you have a ball with it. A question I think every first-time home buyer should ask is, does the property have a homeowner's association, and what does that mean, and what does it cover? Oh my gosh, like this is just teeing me up. You you know, this is such a hot-button <laughs> issue for me. It's such a great question and can be interpreted in so many different ways. I think it's truly on it. It could be honestly its own podcast, but let's break it down into the most simple of terms. The purpose of the homeowners association is to protect the value of the property and all the properties around you. They do this through the establishment of rules, which are known as CCNRs or covenants, conditions, and restrictions. Most people who are not familiar with HOAs focus on the restrictive part and what you cannot do with your property when they say they have a dislike for HOAs. Literally, as you were walking in today, you were having this conversation with somebody on the phone. The exact conversation. Who was determined to not live in an HOA. Yep. When people tell me that they want to live in an area with no HOA, the number one reason that they tell me is because they don't want someone telling them what they cannot do with their property. And I always like to remind people, you know, an HOA is not necessarily telling you what you can't do with your property as much as it might be telling, you know, the neighbor next door what they cannot do with theirs. And that's exactly what I was just sharing with my client this morning. I said, you know, HOAs are designed to bring conformity to community. However, without an HOA, you would not have the amenities in the community like pools, landscaping for the entrance, you know, insurance for some of the common areas, street lights, things like that. Or if you even look at condominiums, things like elevators, controlled entry, parking lot maintenance, security, gyms. There are, of course, different levels of HOAs. Is kind of what I was telling him. There can be a continuum of HOAs, from those with the most basic rules to protect values to very extremely strict ones that are definitely overbearing. Um, asking this question, I think, helps define whether the pros of an HOA outweigh the cons. Well, that's it. Ten questions that first-time homebuyers should ask. While some of these questions and obviously our descriptions were pretty surface level, I think that some of these we can dive into in a deeper level in the future. This is part one of our first time homebuyer series for February. Thank you to my guest and business partner, Brittany Osborne, for having this conversation with me. And the two of us will be back next week with chapter two in this series, First Time Homebuyer Mistakes to Avoid. Brittany, you were great as always. You're going to come back and continue to do this with me next week, right? Absolutely. Any chance to hang out, I'm going to jump on it. Let's go ahead and move into our entertainment topic. For this week's episode, I'm joined by one of our team's premier agents who's returning to the podcast as a returning champion and who I definitely wanted to be involved in this week's topic. We've been teasing this topic ever since the podcast began. 
and we're finally going to do it today. As an agent with the Orden Rider Group at Allen Tate, A.J. Lindsay constantly exceeds his customers' expectations and is known for his amazing negotiating skills and really creating lifelong fans with every single transaction. So, A.J., welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm happy to be back on. So, we have been talking about this week's entertainment topic since the podcast first came together, and you are the person who I have had this conversation with the most. We have ongoing texts about this topic, and we are just constantly evolving this. So everything today has been building up for a significant amount of time for us to have this conversation. Yeah, uh, no matter how long you have lived somewhere, I feel like you could always possibly learn something new. So this week, we're going to go all in together, and we are finally going to discuss Part one of our fun facts about Charlotte series. I know you're a fun fact person, so hopefully this will be a lot of fun. It'll definitely be interesting. I think fun is, you know, a, a, we'll let the audience engage whether or not this is a fun topic, but they are fun facts. Yep. So let's go ahead and get started. And I'm going to start you off with a really easy one. I'm just going to tee it up for you. No golf pun intended. And why don't we just start off with AJ... What is downtown Charlotte? Nothing. Why, AJ, what do you mean, nothing? Well, Jeremy, we do not have a downtown in Charlotte. But AJ, <laughs> this is very theatrical the way that we're doing this right now. Um, we, we have a place where there's big buildings, sports arenas, and it's located in the center of the city. Oh, you mean uptown Charlotte. AJ, tell me more about that. Can we stop this? Yes, let's let's absolutely <laughs> stop this. Charlotte does not have a downtown. We have a center city that is called Uptown. So the fun fact is that there are actually several reasons why we have an area called Uptown. South Charlotte was the hub of Charlotte when neighborhoods like Myers Park and Dilworth, they would literally travel to up to town. Also, as a Southern etiquette, you don't want to look down on something, so it would never be called downtown. It would be called uptown. And finally, uptown actually sits at a higher elevation than the rest of the city, so it is also uptown. It's always fun when we have clients that come in from out of town, and they're like, well, what's life like in downtown Charlotte? And then we go into our you know, fun fact that there is no downtown Charlotte. You run into this a lot, don't you? Well, I was also guilty of it when I first moved here years ago as well. So, do you know where the name Charlotte came from? I know that Charlotte is known as the Queen City, and this actually comes from King George III, who named our city Charlotte Town after his wife, Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Stalitz. Charlotte is located in Mecklenburg County, and Mecklenburg is named after a region of Germany that Queen Charlotte was born in. So this means if King George was married to a woman named Gertrude, we could be living in Gertrude, North Carolina. Good dad joke. Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> you stick with what you know, right? Exactly. So did you know that Charlotte is home to America's first gold rush? Yes. Uh, it happened at Reed's Gold Mine, right? Yeah. So Reed's Gold Mine is one of my favorite places in North Carolina to take my children. It's the site of the original gold rush in the United States. 
It's a wonderful location where you can take a tour of the gold mine, see an old like mining equipment, and during the summer you can actually pan for gold. The story that's told is that in 1799, Conrad Reed found a 17-pound nugget on his family's property and thought it looked cool, so they used it as a doorstop. <laughs> Eventually, they would discover that it was gold, and in turn, that property converted into a massive working gold mine, which also leads us to today with Charlotte's position in the banking industry. How did that happen? So, as we said, the first gold rush was here. As gold was discovered, it originally had to be sent to the mint in Philadelphia. However, to save cost, a mint was created in Charlotte. The mint would later close. However, its legacy remains as multiple Charlotte museums carry the moniker the Mint Museum of Art. On the banking side, Charlotte remains the largest banking center outside of New York City in the entire United States. Yeah, Charlotte is the headquarters for multiple banks, and we love working with our banking employees on real estate transactions. Of course, here in Charlotte, we have the Charlotte Hornets. We also have the moniker of the Hornet's Nest. Do you know where that came from? I don't think I know this one. Uh, is it a Civil War thing, like, like the Tar Heels? It is. So, real quick, the Tar Heels came from a referencing of someone's position in trade, like calling someone a Tar Heel meant that they worked in a manual trade. It was almost like an insult. In the Civil War, it was used as a sense of pride in the state for referring to someone's ability to like stand their ground. Mm -hmm. Regarding the Hornets, in 1780, General Cornwallis led his troops into Charlotte, but faced a huge local resistance. And General Cornwallis called Charlotte a hornet's nest of rebellion, and it stuck. Okay. I got another one for you. Did you know that Charlotte is famous for something that we don't have? How can you be famous for something that you don't have? Well, we are the largest metropolitan area in the U.S. without a zoo. But we have the North Carolina Zoo like 90 miles north and the Columbia Zoo like 90 minutes south. Mm, are either of those in Charlotte? Touche. So Charlotte remains the largest U.S. city without a zoo. Did you know that Charlotte is home to the largest man-made whitewater river? The Whitewater Center? Yep. The U.S. National Whitewater Center is the largest man-made whitewater river. We do need to do an entire discussion on the Whitewater Center. You and I have our personal story of what happened when we were rafting there. <laughs> we will maybe save that for that conversation. But All right, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, did you know Charlotte has been the setting for a ton of film and TV productions? So I remember when, I mean, I must have been in high school and I think Shallow Hal with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jack Black was filmed here. And it was a major story on the news. And then like, it was fun to identify areas where it was filmed. Yep. Shallow Hal was filmed here. The Hunger Games was filmed here. Uh, Homeland, Homeland actually filmed multiple seasons here. So when my wife and I watched Homeland, we would always play like name that location. Yeah. So they used a home in the Palisades around the corner from us as a set for a major like international embassy or something. Yeah, there's also Banshee, Last of the Mohegans, Sully, Days of Thunder, um, Nell, Leatherheads, and of course, Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. It's <laughs> funny that you bring up Talladega Nights, which is a Will Ferrell movie about NASCAR. I don't think people need that explained. Yeah, Ricky Bobby kind of stands alone with 
the shake and bake, but I, I wasn't explaining the movie. I was using it as a transitional statement to bring up another fun fact. It is about NASCAR. Yes. So I didn't steal your thunder, referencing <laughs> back to Days of Thunder. Dad joke combined with a callback. That's, that's what we're here for. This is the entertainment <laughs> portion of the podcast for a reason. So Charlotte is home to NASCAR and the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Yep, not only that, we are also home to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Which is actually a fun fact in itself because the Charlotte Motor Speedway is in Concord, North Carolina. Correct. Located in Concord, but home to three of NASCAR's biggest annual events, the Coca-Cola 600, Bank of America 500, and NASCAR Spring All-Star Race. Did you know that 75% of all NASCAR teams are located within two hours of Charlotte? Who would, who would know that? It, it's a, just another fun fact. Would you like another cheesy fun fact? Is this going to be about cheese? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is about cheese. Charlotte is the pimento cheese capital of the entire world. How is that possible? So we're home to Ruth Salads, which produces over 45,000 pounds of pimento cheese a week. Okay, that is a lot of cheese. So let's wrap this up with one final fun fact. Trade or try on? Well, it's trade and try on. Yes. The intersection of trade and try on is unofficial center of Charlotte, located in uptown, not downtown Charlotte. Because there is no downtown Charlotte. Correct. The intersection of Trade and Tryon is known as Independence Square. On each of the corners is a statue overlooking the intersection to represent transportation, commerce, industry, and the future. These statues weigh over 5,000 pounds each and are made of bronze and granite. I always love looking at those statues, and I point it out to clients when we do area tours in Uptown. But I always wonder how many people pass in front of these statues every single day and either don't notice them or don't know what they represent. Yeah, and how long did you live here before you knew what they meant? So being that my mother is who she is, mm -hmm. as soon as they were installed in 1995, we were informed and quizzed by her on what they represent. I can absolutely see that. You know what Maddie likes, and she wants to make sure that if there's a new installation going in... <laughs> Yeah. We are definitely aware of them. So I think we've done a pretty good slew of fun facts for our first venture down this road. AJ, will you be my partner as we continue this fun fact series in the future? Um, will there be dad jokes next time? You mean rad jokes? I would be very happy to come back for some more fun facts in the future. Thank you to our audience for joining us. Hopefully this provided... A little levity, to say the, the least, and you got to see AJ mock me constantly. <laughs> so thank you very much for our guests for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. Mm -hmm.